0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. An ironic disclaimer. This episode deals quite a bit with aesthetic value, and unfortunately, for about 30 seconds somewhere in there, we lost our internet connection, and it gets a little bubbly. Bear with us. We'll do better next time. Coming in from all over the globe,
1: confirming it as true. The event seems to have taken place at the same time all over the world, just about 25 minutes ago. Life so. was filled with guns.
0: just downloaded an episode of Sectarian Review, a monthly podcast of reviews, cultural criticism, and opinion. Contributors to Sectarian Review tried to think broadly and seriously, but also a little frivolously about the life of the mind in contemporary America. We've read a lot, watched a lot, and thought a bit about the world, and we're here to talk about it. Sectarian Review is a part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network, but don't hold those guys too responsible for what we say here. If something we say gets you thinking, send us an email at sectarianreview at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page where you can post comments, reactions, and ideas for future episodes. Now sit back, relax, and hopefully enjoy another episode of Sectarian Review. Against Praise Movies. Okay, follow me on this one. I'm scrolling Facebook like a good American and an ad is promoted in my newsfeed. A beautiful couple, I'm talking HGTV beautiful here, lovingly stares at me. I can tell they're not just selling me something, they want to offer me a beautiful gift. She has her hands folded just under what must be a cross, dipping below two tufts of long blonde hair, placed in perfect dishevelment on top of her shoulders. Next to her stands a husband with humble confidence, His hands rest in his pockets, and his precisely unshaven chin forms a welcoming sideways grin that could never be positively identified in court as a smirk. Together they provide a template for what can only be called megachurch face. Sincerity takes liquid form and begins dripping from my laptop, gushing. The two introduce a service called Pure Flix, a name straight from Thomas Pynchon's imagination, and who knows, maybe this is Pynchon. He would surely approve the design of the company logo, which was clearly made with the word art feature in Microsoft Office. After assuring us of their deep love for their family, our protagonists, in flashbacks or maybe flash forwards as embark on a slow motion journey with their children to the couch that awaits them in their grandly open concept family room. Although never seen on screen, one can picture the granite countertops and walk in closets that await this happy healthy family when the show is over. At any rate, our slow-motion family is all smiles as the hosts of this infomercial, David A.R. White and Andrea Logan White, pitch their, quote, Christ-centered, quote, faith-based wares. And incidentally, I secretly desire that the A.R. in David A.R. White stands for Axel Rose and White lives in dread that his family values-based audience will find out. Well needless to say, let me pause and remind the listener that anything I have or might say here does not reflect the opinion of any employer or acquaintance that might be embarrassed to know me at the moment. So I've invoked the genius of Susan Sontag and named this episode Against Praise Movies. My intent is to have a conversation about Christian art should, might, and does work. By now it's no secret that I have a deep-seated antagonism toward the Kirk Cameron-style Christian film. The rant I just went on was unnecessarily hostile, snarky, and unfair, but I decided to go there anyway. As with the football episode last time, I'm operating under the assumption that destruction is an act of creation, and I want to dismantle what has, for Christendom, a veneer of goodness so that we can explore what is really good. All right. I, I, clearly, my co-hosts are embarrassed that they agreed to be on here, so I want to introduce them right now and give them a chance to uh, uh, dismiss themselves. I'm willing to be the bad guy, so these guys don't have to be. Uh, joining me today once again is Todd Pedler, professor of physics at Luther College and host of the great Book of Nature podcast. Todd, how are you doing today?
2: Oh, I'm doing fine. i, I uh, once again, I think I, I, I will I will help help you a little bit, help you out. I, I, I I'm afraid I can't be the good guy in this episode. <laughs>
0: Well and again I've gone over the top on purpose here just to sort of make a point and hopefully uh get people annoyed enough that they want that their anger gets up that they want to fight with us a little bit. Um and by the way Todd I uh I'm expecting a gravitational waves episode in the future. Is this uh is this You gotta know we got
2: to do it. Yeah, okay. we, we 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 got to do it. I <laughs> I actually thought about just recording a little 15 minute spiel on my own but uh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it'll it'll come I'm sure. Awesome. It was very exciting.
1: I, I, I'm thinking that should be the name of the uh, Book of Nature house band. <laughs> the gravitational
0: waves. <laughs>
1: well, that voice you hear. Uh, Todd and I
0: are welcoming another celebrity guest, the great Nathan Gilmore, Associate Professor of English at Emmanuel College and uh, king of the blogosphere at this point. Nathan, you've been on like every blog or every uh, blog and podcast that I, I can think of. How's it going? Oh. <laughs> you can't
1: think of very many, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I have had a, a really great time here lately. I've been on uh, Homebrewed Christianity. I've been on uh, Partially Examined Life. Uh, I mean, it, it's just great fun. Uh, if If you listen to podcasts as I do when you're commuting to work and you're used to yelling at your car stereo, uh, to, to have it yell back is kind of a fun thing <laughs> <laughs>
0: well I've been enjoying your show a lot lately and uh, and I am actually gonna be sitting in for you here in a couple of weeks you guys are gonna be talking about oh, Troll, very good apparently so uh, we're sort of trading off here a little bit yeah. so um, great. Um, Well, before we get to the show, uh, we are talking, the the name of this episode is called Against Praise Movies, and it's obviously, uh, I think it fits into the series that we've been talking about lately. We we did the episode on anti-heroes, which I know Nathan wants to respond to at some point in a future date, I know. Uh, Mm -hmm. We did the show about football, and and now uh, upcoming, we're going to do a show about Trumpism, is what we're calling it. So there's this sort of uh, cultural reflection that this is really a part of, and so... Uh, I did set this up in a very antagonistic way and, uh, I don't necessarily have any ill feelings for the folks that we're about to, um, speak ill of, I guess. Uh, but, um, to <laughs> uh, sort of set the stakes, uh, which I think are kind of high. Um. All right, so before we get to that, though, I do have a, a response. Uh, Jordan Potts left a really nice message on our Facebook page, and I wanted to uh, uh, to read some of that to you all. And Jordan has expressed interest in uh, being on, maybe uh, uh, joining the cast here every now and then. So I uh, wanted to give him a little uh, shout-out right now. Uh, and this is about the football industrial complex episode. Uh, Jordan wrote, Great discussion. I've thought a lot of what you all said uh, for a long time. He writes you guys too and says y'all a lot, doesn't he? (laughs) Uh, For a long time. I actually soured on church for a while... Uh, during college, at least in part, because I knew every Sunday in the fall would involve UGA Tennessee trash talk. It's a shame that uh, we have to have discussions like these, though, because I, I really want to love the fellowship and leisure that used to be a part of sports. The small town teams, uh, as it used to be, could be one of those little platoons Burke wrote of. And this, uh, uh, and, and this I felt something of during that basketball season at my tiny Rural Christian High School where there was no taxpayer money involved in sustaining it, responding mm. to my socialism comment. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, sports has turned into a monster, especially at uh, college and professional sports. Again, great discussion, and I hope uh, this can open up discussion, and reflection, and others. And I invite you to look. He posted a, uh, a picture of something that he was reading that actually uh, speaks to, uh, from a military historian perspective, and actually speaks in interesting ways to uh, the conversation. So I invite you to take a look at mm-hmm. that and, uh, and join into the conversation. Um, and like I said, I wanted to sort of step back a little bit from that, uh, because there really are wonderful things about athletics uh, and mm-hmm. the act of participating in sports, right? It's the idolatry of that that I was really sort of aiming at. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. uh, I do want to step away from some of the hyperbole. Um, right. Even well, well, it's interesting, Danny.
1: The next uh, Christian Humanist podcast is actually an episode on baseball. I think it might serve as a nice counterpoint to the football episode. Mm-hmm. And we make reference to your episode and some of the good points you made. So, oh well, excellent. Um, that's cool. I can't wait to hear that. And baseball does seem maybe
0: because it's kind of a, a second tier sport now, uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, in in popular culture at least. You know, I mean, not, not in reality, but just in <laughs> imagination. Uh, it, it does seem like a better uh, uh, version of what sports could be. I think uh, now mm-hmm. that they got the there's no more uh, HGH problem anymore. So that that took care of. <laughs> So, All right. Well, let me get to the topic here. I'm sure that um, uh, some, some listeners are ready to uh, maybe kind of uh, clench something as they listen to what we have to say here. <laughs> um, and, and let me also say, I do have friends in the kind of Christian... Uh, media sphere that work in that and, and this is in no way meant to be a personal attack on what you do in your ministries. Um, I, I just would like us to think a little more philosophically about it and that's sort of my go- whole goal here. So, well question one um, Nathan, can I spin this one up to you? Certainly. Alright, uh, question one. Uh, what is it that actually identifies or defines what I call the quote praise movie? What aesthetic features does it have? What's its history, goals, etc.?
1: If I were to start talking about what distinguishes a praise movie from other kinds of art, I I wouldn't necessarily start with aesthetics, although I'd eventually get there. I would start with sociology. There is a sense among evangelical subculture especially, although I think it extends to conservative Roman Catholics as well, that there is a Hollywood culture that's variously monolithic or amorphous. I mean, there's different ways people talk about it. But the notion is that either by some sort of organic tendency or by a direct conspiracy, this sort of Hollywood culture has it out for conservative Christian culture. There's a number of ways that people respond to that. One of them, of course, is to simply bar people from going to the movies to say that if you go to the theater, then you are out of God's grace. Uh, That is, as far as I can tell, a, a response that is diminishing in American life. There's another one that was big when I was coming up through junior high and high school and that was to establish a certain set of criteria for movies by which you limit some movies, uh, sometimes based on the MPAA rating, but sometimes based on subject matter, things like that, uh, so that it became, you know, a thing to say that Christians don't go to those sorts of movies, even though you can go to these sorts of movies. I think the praise movie is another stage in that sort of tense relationship between Hollywood culture and evangelical culture. Again, using that term broadly to include, you know, not only evangelicals, but conservative Christians of other sorts uh, to start producing our own media, so to speak. Uh, Now, we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, at some length, as we roll along, but a lot of folks, I would be among them, would argue that there already are Christian movies out there, things like mm-hmm. uh, The Apostle with Paul Newman, or not not Paul Newman, uh, with uh, Robert, Duvall. Robert Duvall, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, things of that sort. Uh, but really, sometime in... Ah, I want to say the late 90s, and if you guys want to push it backwards from there, I'm willing to hear your arguments. But the first movie like this that I can really, really remember is actually from a mainstream studio, namely DreamWorks, uh, when they did really the fine movie, Prince of Egypt. Mm. What happened there was you actually had a consortium of scholars, really talented voice actors, skillful animators. I mean, I still love the look of Prince of Egypt, even 20 years later. That put together a movie that followed, with some fidelity, the plot line of the first fifteen chapters of Exodus, uh, which quoted the Bible fairly liberally, uh, or conservatively, as the case may be. <laughs> uh, and, uh, nice. and as it went on, uh, the Prince of Egypt, you know, hmm. really brought out, uh, you know, some of the emotional force of Exodus, while telling its own kind of story that ran at an angle to Exodus, but isn't there in the text. I mean, the story of the duel between brothers in that film is really something that is original with Prince of Egypt that you won't find in the text of Exodus. Hmm. Fast forward a little bit. uh, People who distribute movies realize that you can make money doing this. Um, And so you start to get... uh, really a swell and again I, th- th- this is where my history is a little bit blurry I don't know if these are concurrent mm-hmm. or if one follows from the other but as I remember things you really get a boom in sort of Christian bookstore media that are purporting to be feature films mm-hmm. this sort of hits a, a weird crossroads and this is why I keep uh, you know, double clutching and saying it's not always evangelicals when Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ hits theaters mm-hmm. uh, and it's interesting that there are more evangelicals than Roman Catholics excited about that movie. Mm -hmm. And so, in the years since that, and that was, what, 2003, I want to say, maybe 2004? Uh, I really should have looked this up
2: before the episode. It's (laughs) after after 2003. Okay, okay. Yeah. 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 You
1: get an entirely new species of movies, starting, I believe, with the movie Facing the Giants. Mm. These are extraordinarily Mm -hmm. low-budget productions. Uh, They are actually produced by a church here in Georgia. Uh, They are purportedly set in Athens, although people who live in Athens won't recognize much of what goes on in the movie. Mm. Uh, And these very low-budget movies start to rake in disproportionately huge paydays because evangelicals start to attend these things as they attended Mel Gibson's movie as an act of social protest. So... This is one of the things that I want to keep in mind Mm -hmm. is that what we're dealing with is not first and foremost aesthetic, although that certainly does develop, but it's first and foremost sociological. Now, Mm -hmm. Todd, I'd like to uh, lateral to you since we're talking about Facing the Giants. I mean, if you were going to talk about some (laughs) of the aesthetics that arise out of these kinds of movies, where would you start digging in?
2: Well, see, my... uh, I, I I may uh, I may call an audible here because the because um, <laughs> I think I I, I wasn't going to hit hard initially on aesthetics because I think aesthetics are important and I think the aesthetic is different, but I I find the origin of these films almost exclusively in a, in the intent what's the purpose in the in the underlying goal being not to produce something of fine quality but I mean to put it in 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 the words of the Kendrick brothers to to save souls I mean that's their goal that's it they don't you know they want to do things in a way that I think utilizes a particular medium that is successful in in communicating with people but these particular movies are put out there, and this would distinguish it from Prince of Egypt because Prince of Egypt does not does not have that as a, as an underlying foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, these movies, by and large, tend to be focused on portraying by, or teaching a moral lesson of some sort. Okay, um, not in a particularly subtle matter, uh, manner, Usually, <laughs> um. A most, you know, at least the Kendricks, most of their movies tend to seem to have to do with fatherhood and marriage. I mean, that's sort of the, the big dogs that they're, you know, they're fighting. Um, and I would, for me, I I guess I see a continuum that goes back beyond Prince of Egypt to, to The Thief in the Night, you know, mm. 1972. Ah, okay, good. Okay. Good. And so, for me, in the lineage there, you want to you want to go back further. That goes back to the 13th century. I mean, because this is the Passion Play, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, the genealogy for me goes from from you know Oberammergau or Gau or however you pronounce that in in you know in the 1600s, uh, mm-hmm. the famous Passion plays in Germany, through um, a a a time in which. Uh, you know there is a fever for for end times, in which uh, we get these these four film. I think there were four films, um, but Thief in the Night is the one I I distinctly remember. Um, scared is, the crap out of me as a young kid, huh? Is that the one that <laughs> you've been left behind? Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is that the folk yeah, song? All right, that, that's the one with the uh, white unite vans uh, that drive around. You know, yes. Uh, but it, I mean, very, very campy, but, you know, it, it's the 70s, so 1972. But it's the first of several films that deal with the second coming, the rapture, and, and, and the world in the aftermath of, of the rapture, and so forth. Um, and it's, it's it's interesting to me, anyway, that the rapture film, which persisted, I think, for quite some time, was about the only form of Christian film to make the rounds for a while. Mostly these went like straight to church distribution, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to Thief in the Night, I don't think there's much at all outside of really entirely in-house films that are produced by and for churches. It would be interesting, and I'd, I'd love it if we'd ta- you know, bat this one around a little later, too, to think about the, what, are, what is the place of things like Quo Vadis and Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments, all of which oh, come yeah, out in yeah. the 30s to 50s. Um, these are films which, even more than Prince of Egypt… Are, are are really telling a story and I, and I think you know in in the case of Ben-Hur it's a fantastic film i mean it, you know in, in its production value um but you know we we have this uh, this urgency to to bring out a particular um, theological uh, strain of thought, you know, into the mainstream to 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 get it out there to um, wake up the lukewarm Christian or you know get the unbeliever to commit and whatnot. Um, and, and of course, what follows on this is the left behind stuff, right? You know, yeah. in 1990 well, let's see, 1998. I, I didn't know this until I until I poked around a little bit. Um, there was a series of films made by by Cloud 10, which is the production. Uh, company behind the Kirk Cameron films um, mm-hmm. that made a series of uh, one's called Apocalypse like Apocalypse 1 2 3 4 I think they're numbered but they they they're, they're you know they they have other names that they go by um, but that's 1998 and so forth so 98 to up until we get to uh, Facing the Giants or really if you want Flywheel which came before Facing the Giants oh, right. um, but was Kendrick's but it was a direct to DVD venture um, you got nothing, but but these Rapture films, um, and really something that distinguishes, you know, what follows is is, I, I think, a good move to get away from that fixation on this one issue. Um, I mean, unfortunately, you develop a fixation on another issue, um, <laughs> with with the Kendrick films. Um, but I think the you know the the aesthetic is, is the the aesthetic value of these films the, the 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 intention to aesthetic detail is certainly second seat to the message right mm-hmm. um the character portrayals are often flat uh, not well developed um, they generally sort of run towards stereotypes right you've got the uh, you've got the sold out. You know, this old out praying Christian, you got the struggling Christian, you got the curious non-believer, and you got the non-believing warthog from hell. Right? I mean, um, <laughs> and, and, and these films all, they're f- so focused on this message, and so fo- I, I think so dedicated to eliciting a heavy emotional response. That the aesthetic, the 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 choices of us, you know, in in the aesthetic realm are 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 kind of limited. I mean, they they really don't they don't explore much artistic space. It seems it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that's interesting, Todd. I guess I guess the reason I thought of Prince of Egypt first is because, mm-hmm. as I remember things, that was the first uh, cinematic. You know, multiplex movie release that I can right. remember being marketed at Christian bookstores, mm-hmm. and so I mean that that strikes me as a a different kind of moment from those rapture films where, you know, I, I you, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but mm. the sense I get is they didn't get a whole lot
2: of movie theater time. Oh no, no, I no, I don't, I don't think they did, and yeah. that, that isn't an, that is an important thing, and that's and that's mm-hmm. something that distinguishes Facing the Giants from from the rest, because Facing the Giants went right in and actually made a boatload of money. You know, yeah. as these things as these things go. Um so, you know, th- what we would call the praise movie, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I think starts with the Kendricks, really. Um, okay. I don't I don't even think it I don't think you can count Kirk Cameron in really, again, because those were very limited release. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes I think they were um, pitched to theaters where you had some kind of church support yeah and and, and and whatnot so it is kind of a different beast with a different f- uh, flavor
0: mm-hmm i'm so depressed right now um, the uh, the whole i'd f- totally forgotten about those thief in the night movies and now I, I feel like I need to call my counselor back up
1: and, <laughs> and uh,
0: lay on the couch again uh, I, I just uh, I've totally, we hosted those at my house when I was a little kid. I remember having uh, i, I don 't know where we got the tapes. I think the church must have lent it to us and, and we uh we uh, we played in our v c r we had all these people. In our home, watching these things, and mm-hmm. I think we had good intentions for that. But uh, it was—I uh, was a little kid. I totally remember this. It's—it's uh, it's horrifying. And honestly, mm-hmm. the aesthetically, I feel like those are a different animal. For one thing, um, I think they're much more closer to the aesthetics of like the drive-through sort of exploitation movie of the '70s. Um, and, and I think that's my memory, at least, of course, right. of them. And yeah. and I feel like so that alone kind of distinguishes them. It, they yeah. do have that kind of. Uh, shock value quality that that those kinds of films were going for right. mm-hmm. um, whereas there's a much more kind of um, i guess purely pedagogical value or quality that these other ones are going for um, uh, that's true. I'm not, go ahead mm-hmm. what, Todd.
2: no no i mean that's that, that's definitely true I mean another thing that I think of which would be interesting to explore although we don't we surely will not have time is the you know the 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 thief in the night and and some of these sort of shock apocalypse films come around at the same time you get the rise of these specifically campy Christian bands, right? Mm. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's a point at which there is at least some segment of the Christian uh, culture that is trying to, gr- you know, grasp onto these societally important uh phenomenal like film and 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 music mm-hmm. um but they never quite get it and of course i'm th- i i i'm thinking immediately of of jesus as a friend of mine this song yeah. you know which you both <laughs> <say>. <laughs> oh yeah our closing song everyone Wait <laughs> <I can't. laughs> but um yeah you know there was just there was something about Man, what, I mean, I look at that now and I go, I can't believe these people seriously thought this was going to do anything, you know, whether it's the music or the film.
1: Right, well, I mean, and and that's a live question for the Kendricks films as well. I mean, is there such an unrealistic notion of what people who don't already go to your church think that you think Mm -hmm. that this kind of film is going to do that kind of work? And I mean, I'll I'll admit, I'm cynical enough to think that that was never the intention, that this was always about getting the evangelical buck. Mm. Um, Mm. However, I mean, I'm willing to be convinced otherwise. I I do want to point out, though, hearing you guys talk about uh, these rapture movies of the 70s, this might be the first uh, Christian Humanist Radio Network show in which I was the youngest panelist. (laughs) (laughs) As as, as often as Michael Farmer makes note of how ancient I am, I just wanted to note this.
0: (laughs) Uh, well, I'm still the most immature, so uh, <laughs> I always have that idea. So. Um, oh, it, speaking back to uh, the the, uh, the left behind books, I mean, this is sort of a literary version um, of mm-hmm. the film industry, the, the kind of market that Nathan's talking about. And I remember I was on the train, I used to take the train in Cleveland all the time, and uh, I was on the train, and I was sitting behind someone, uh, and they're reading a book. I had no idea what they were reading, and I was just reading the prose over their shoulder. I'm like, oh, Lord, this is the worst written thing I've ever seen. I have no idea what. <laughs> what it is and it closed it and it was one of those left behind books and uh, yeah. and it was uh that to me there was something aesthetically displeasing about it though and, and this is why i i would not uh the intention as, as todd says the sort of uh, uh purpose of these films and the kind of sociological roots of them are also important but i do think there's something very kind of like lifetime movie-ish about these the aesthetics Absolutely. of these movies, I, and this mm-hmm. is frankly at the in the opening little thing I, may, I kept making the HGTV um, um, snide remarks, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think I was purposely trying to associate this with that uh, kind of very kind of banal and unoffensive style, and, mm-hmm. and so to me this is like a hallmark of this, and I don't know what the technical term is. I call them praise movies, kind of pejoratively. I think they would mm-hmm. call them. Uh, I don't know what they call them, but uh, <laughs> so I call them this. But uh, um, uh, but I feel like the um, uh, when I see these movies, I see this very sanitized vision of creation, uh, mm-hmm. and in the pure flicks. Promotions that I see on my Facebook page all the time. I mean, it is an HGTV home. They're wearing HGTV style and mm-hmm. haircuts and everything, um, and and even the kind of slow motion shots. This is all out of that kind of aesthetic, and to me, it reminds me very much of a Thomas Kincaid painting. Uh, <laughs> Um, Which is pretty. I mean, those are pretty. The colors are pretty. The painter of light, of course, the colors are pretty. Um, But the problem with it morally for me is that it aesthetically presents a world without the fall, that doesn't uh, account for the fall. And and I feel like um, that's what these movies, Uh -uh. even though they're talking about people who come back to to Christ at the end, um, invariably, it is still the sanitized world that doesn't access... The real problem in, in mm-hmm. the world that they're supposed to be solving, because yeah. they refuse to incorporate that content into the aesthetic, because yeah. the aesthetic is uh, becomes an idol of some sort. Todd, you have something. Yeah,
2: no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you entirely. Um, yeah, and we. Yeah, I was, I was gonna throw. I guess I was gonna throw this in. <laughs> At some point, when we're talking about uh, we're talking about things later, but I, I imagine this is just going to be a conversation that sort of evolves and doesn't necessarily follow the script. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you you mention you mention uh, the you know the flaw of humanity or the flaws in the world. And um, you know, one of the one of the people I think that writes really helpfully on this is Flannery O'Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got several several different essays where she addresses the Christian as a writer. Um, mm-hmm. One of them, one of these essays, is called "Novelist and Believer." And, uh, and I'm just going to read from it because uh, it hits the point you just made. The serious writer has always taken the flaw in human nature for his starting point, usually the flaw in an otherwise admirable character. Drama usually bases itself on the bedrock of original sin, whether the writer thinks in theological terms or not. Then, too, any character in a serious novel is supposed to carry a burden of meaning larger than himself. The novelist doesn't write about people in a vacuum. He writes about people in a world where something is obviously lacking, where there is Mm. the general general mystery of incompleteness and the particular tragedy of our own times to be demonstrated. And the novelist tries to give you, within the form of the book, a total experience of, of human nature at any time. Um. And so what, what these movies miss oftentimes, and, and I think it's, again, it's, it's because in part of what they're trying to do, although they're trying to do with, uh, they're trying to do something that I think is motivated by, uh, by theological understandings, which, which may or, you know may be, may be problematic. Um, but because of that, they don't actually, I don't think they dig down into the depths and really get at what the root problems are, um, and, uh, and 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 what is profitable to reflect on, you know. I, I I I'm sure I'll say this later too. I would much rather read something, a gritty novel about the realities of life under the sun, as it were, um, that deals in you know in 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 op- you know in, in 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 ways that maybe reveal both. Um, an honest portrayal of of human interactions, but also may reveal in the author their own blindness to their own things. But I I, I think there's so much you can do with literature, in particular, but with the visual arts as well, um, uh, that these films just aren't interested in doing. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, let me reason. float
2: this theory because this is something that
1: occurred to me when Todd was talking. That you know I I think that the in, in aesthetic terms, so I'm finally going to talk aesthetics, Danny. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> that it, it strikes me that their plot structure borrows more from the 19th century revival meeting than it does from Athenian tragedy. Amen. So, you know, you, you've got a stock list of sins. Uh, you know, you don't introduce new kinds of sins because that might require some casuistry, exegesis, and, you know, deliberation. And then the character is rescued from those sins or not, depending on which sort of character they are. Uh, And then the ending is a good one because they have effectively had an altar call experience and therefore they leave the movie as someone would leave the big tent.
0: Hmm. What do you think? That's a great theory. I mean, I I do think that, um, and that's one reason it fails as... Art uh, in ways that it may not fail, I suppose, as didactic kind of <laughs> like learning. It's like a chick track. Uh, those old little comic <laughs> books. That. Uh, that's essentially what it is. Although I
1: will argue a, a, a different sort of chick flick. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will argue, there's an aesthetic value to those chick tracks that I think is underappreciated. This
1: well, is, if you take them ironically.
0: <laughs> well, no, I mean, the, the art itself is very uh, interesting. Um, but uh, but yes, but in ways that this. This stuff isn't, because I don't know, but whatever. But um, huh. I, I absolutely, I think that the the kind of ur-texts then for these <laughs> these stories are kind of shallow, I guess. <laughs> and so how how much how interesting can the films end up being? Right. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Well, and,
1: and, and part of it as well, I think, is that the Big Tent revival itself as a religious event is an artifact of the 19th century. You know, I, I think that people uh, get so excited when one actually happens in the 21st century precisely because we're not in a culture mo- cultural moment, pardon me, where that normally happens.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, uh, we have sort of, uh, I think, already previewed the second question I had. Can we just kind of, uh, (laughs) let me state that so we can continue the conversation? Yeah, Yeah, hold on. on, And I'll shoot this one back to Todd. Um, And speaking of aesthetics, by the way, I have the pleasure of seeing Todd in the camera and his microphone. If he sounds great, um, he has this magnificent microphone today. I'm I'm so jealous of this thing. So the aesthetics of this show is just so much better now because of uh, Todd's investment here. So so ultimately, Todd, what is the problem here? I've made I maintain, I maintain that this form of art fails the Christian imagination, and I have specific reasons for using that term. Mm. Um, uh, let's just assume I'm right,
1: <laughs> uh, and how and why. and if I'm wrong. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> by, by the way, folks, this is normally how a conversation with Danny goes. Let's <laughs> <assume I'm right. laughs> I, this has been
0: so, already. I've had so much fun talking with Nathan again. I still so miss these conversations. <laughs> so, uh, oh, so, uh, what, what is it that, that is a failing for the Christian yeah. imagination?
2: Well, you know, I think. I mean i I'll just state this quickly and then we can sort of bat it around i mean I, I there are a number of things that that I think are are clearly problematic um the most obvious to me and and again i'm I'm mostly picking on the Kendrick brothers films because they are the ones that have made the biggest splash they're the ones that have made the biggest you know they're a lot they're they're, they're putting them out with Tristar now so it's not mm-hmm. like they're in a minor house anymore um mm-hmm. But they, they I think they explore a narrowed and foreshortened territory of the human experience. I mean they're I don't think it does well in terms of the Christian imagination, or really any sort of imagination at all. In the end, um, there seems to be a formulaic approach to life that's presented. Usually, it seems like a formulaic method that seems largely to be dedicated at quelling uh, the anguish of guilt for sin, or or preventing a particular sin problem from arising again. Solutions to problems in one's family uh, are you know community, whether Christian or not are, are, they're just not so neatly and tidily solved as they are in these films, I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, I, I think they fail to understand the human condition at, at bottom. Um, and what I, what I would uh, I guess what, what I would say the Christian imagination requires is for us to look openly and honestly at who people are. Under you know in in this world, what is it that our real issues are? Um, but also to, to 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 go off of the negative and into into the what they positively should do, I I, I think. And where they miss there is, um, they're missing the fact that art is good. <laughs> they're missing the fact that art in and of itself. This is another thing that I'm remembering from Flannery O'Connor. Another another well, she's quoting Aquinas. Um, where she says that art itself is good. It's, it's, it's a good in and of itself. Um, and the value of that, the value of putting together something which is aesthetically beautiful on the screen um, and exploring territory that's not necessarily directed at getting somebody in the pew on Sunday morning um, is missed entirely. And it is it, 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 to, to, I think, our loss. Um, these films are again—they—they—they—they they, they, they generally um, have one aim, and I—I I see that as a—I I see that as a problem because it makes our task, or at least it portrays something about our role in the world as Christians, as to be entirely mono maniacal. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> we got—I—we've I, got one purpose here. Mm-hmm. and the purpose is not a purpose of being a good professor or being a good gardener or being a, a good neighbor to all those around. Um our purpose you know our, our struggle is not uh, you know solely against uh satan invading your living room and taking <laughs> you and your children on. But our struggle is against the the fin- finitude of our of our minds and 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 the 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 coldness of the real world. These films don't go there. They've got they've they've got one one vision, I think one way to portray a good Christian life, and their imagination therefore these the, the, those who produce these films, I think is is just it's sorely lacking. We aren't we aren't thinking big enough, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And to follow up on what Todd said,
1: uh, part of the failing is to think of the world as divided up into Christian and art, uh, when really, I mean, if you looked at these things, I mean, with the tools of literary criticism, uh, they are borrowing from this genre rather than that one. They are giving us this kind of script rather than that one. Mm -hmm. It is still entirely a narrative construction, uh, and that's not a bad thing, but as Todd notes, it is good to do narrative well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And part of doing narrative well is to allow for enough Complexity to allow for enough uh, ambiguity in terms of interpretation that the audience actually becomes part of the production instead of being entirely passive, or if you overshoot entirely passive, which usually happens, Mm -hmm. ironic spectators of circus freaks.
0: Hmm.
1: And, I did, and I didn't say Jesus freaks. I said. Uh,
0: <laughs> is that where we get yeah. the Nicolas Cage Left Behind movie? Is that, uh, is that where that?"
1: Is? I, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have yet to muster the courage to watch. But, I mean, I mean think, think about the people in your life who went to see that. How many of them went to see it unironically? Yeah. I, mm. yeah. I, I can't think of any in my circles. No.
2: Have you seen it, Nathan? No, I have not. <laughs> All I've seen is the trailer and, and 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 heard a little bit about it, but it's it's an interesting takeoff, you know, mm-hmm. uh on 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 the uh the Kirk Cameron uh, uh versions. Um and I've heard a lot of really crazy you know negative feedback on those films from from uh from Christians by and large. Mm-hmm. Um Interesting. I, I've got. I, I should watch them. Uh, well, I don't know. I've got better things to do. I, yeah. You know, no. Wash, wash the dishes every once in a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is. I, I guess this is where I, I have a little guilt about even talking about this subject, because I have no doubt that there are people who have sincere religious experiences with this form of art, right? Mm-hmm. And, and 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 I even have no doubt that people live better lives after watching it. Uh, and, and, and so this is not. To utterly dismiss these these forms, and so I'm very conflicted, I guess, in some ways about this. is uh, is normally my stance on everything, but, um, um, but regardless of regardless of that, I I feel like when I think about the aesthetics of this, and when I think about the problem that it poses for Mm -hmm. the Christian imagination, my mind, and this is where I actually came with the phrase Christian imagination, my mind immediately and unsurprisingly goes to Lionel Trilling, um, Mm -hmm. whose book, The Liberal Imagination, I think Nathan has uh, Mm -hmm. uh, gotten into a bit here,
1: yeah, I've taught a few of the essays from it.
0: Right, and we're talking about on the teaching of modern literature, which is, I think, from beyond culture, actually, um, mm-hmm. uh, on the next the, the Christian Humanist podcast that I'll be sitting in on in a couple of weeks. But, um, oh, those um,
1: bums. I would have yeah. enjoyed that episode.
0: <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to break it to you live on air. <laughs> um, I had no idea. I thought you were in on this. Um, so, uh, But anyway... Trilling's idea, the main kind of emphasis of that of those essays that are collected in the book, The Liberal Imagination, is uh, a, a, a critique of liberal art from within liberalism. And we're talking mm-hmm. liberalism in the kind of New Deal sense of it at this point, kind of mid-century versions of um, like FDR kind of uh, liberalism. Mm-hmm. And so what he's saying about particularly realist art um, is that it, it's serving the liberal imagination poorly because what, all it's doing is reasserting things that you already believe and um, dehumanizing, essentially, people who might have uh, good and even helpful critiques of what you believe uh, mm-hmm. by making them entirely the bad guy, by fitting him into these meta-narratives that uh, fit the outcome that you already believe. Um, mm-hmm. And so what he saw, and I think there's a good... I would argue that he was largely right in his critique of, of mid-century liberalism is that it had the tendency to become very stagnant then um, because mm-hmm. it wasn't allowing its imagination to investigate what its own ideals and its own uh, sentiments and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and mm-hmm. ideas. And so I feel like that same model applies very neatly to the, this kind of art form I feel like Christians are producing art that does not challenge the Christian worldview in a healthy way all it does is reiterate these assumptions we have about uh, mm-hmm. the world and uh, in doing so it's creating a stagnant um, uh, body and I feel like mm-hmm. that to me is the ultimate problem for the for the Christian imagination in this kind of Lazy, um, celebratory form of art. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's the Dreiser um, <laughs> problem that uh, that L- that Trilling was uh, identifying mm-hmm. in his essays.
1: Well, it's mm-hmm. it's funny, Danny, because that is precisely the context in which I taught that. Because I taught it to the staff of uh, my college's literary magazine, and our conversation kind of revolved around how how we might translate those notions into the sort of evangelical culture, and you know. We were getting a lot of of stories, you know, submitted for our review that were, you know, these like I said, you know, kind of revival stories, uh, where the sins were predictable, the repentance was total, and the end left you with no doubt that they would, you know, go forth and sin no more. Right. And you know, there was so little variation on that that I thought Trilling would be a good conversation partner when we were thinking about what kinds of stories we're going to try to draw out of our students. How did they uh, react to that? That's uh, that's wonderful. <laughs> oh, I, I, I mean, they, you know, uh, the, their eyes just kind of lit up. Because, I mean, at first, when I assigned it to them, they said, okay, why in the world are we reading about this? We are, you know, on a different planet from New York City. Liberalism is a dirty word here. Why are we reading this essay? And I said, oh. all right, let, let's do a uh, find and replace. And, you know, <laughs> everywhere Trilling says evangelical, let's put... or everywhere Trilling says liberal, let's put evangelical. Yeah. And all of a sudden they said, oh, that, yeah.
2: that is good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, critical, critical engagement requires a critic, right? I mean, you, yeah. if we're actually going to teach our students, and I guess I, we're all, we're all teaching, of, yeah, teaching students, so this is where we all think about these things all the time, right? In order um, to lead them through, you've got to give them... Something against which to, to uh, you know, to uh, to dash their cherished uh, their their cherished possessions. I mean, they have to. I'm mixing metaphors terribly. Um, you know, <laughs> they w- they have to engage with those ideas. If we're really going to give them the fullest experience, they've got you know they've got to go beyond the in-house production, as it were.
1: Right, right. And I think what Todd just described is why uh, academics tend to fare poorly on Facebook during election years. (laughs) 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 Because we spend our professional lives saying, oh, you seem very convinced with that. Let me poke it with a stick. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean,
0: I think that that's interesting that you make that... uh, comparison, Nathan, because I feel like a, that's a nice segue into next week's episode about Donald Trump and his yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, influence. But b, um, it's also I think a way to think of our political discourse as a as a natural outcome of this limited imagination, mm-hmm. this inability or unwillingness to uh, see the best in one's opponent, right? And. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm thinking particularly, maybe this is the moment I can unleash you on God's Not Dead. Um, <laughs> my kind of main critique of that movie, my, the thing, I, I could watch it in like 20 minute blocks before I had to go up my blood pressure medicine.
1: I, I had to do that as well. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. uh, and, and I feel like uh, my main critique was really a moral one. I felt like that was an immoral narrative uh, in the yeah. way that they portrayed everyone as a caricature of the worst of their opponents. Uh, and, and so every, mm-hmm. the, the whatever, the shock jock reporter that ambushes uh, the Duck Dynasty guy mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. utterly inane questions, by the way. Inane <laughs> questions. He is super gracious, and he's, he's like, oh, I don't care that you're an idiot and you're being mean. I'll be nice to you anyway, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and there's like no redeeming qualities in anybody that stands. They're just, uh, and he stands opposed to the heroes of this narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just feel like that is an immoral way to think about your fellow human beings. And when you start thinking about your fellow human beings like that, Donald Trump is the apothe, that's the natural outcome of this.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it is not a coincidence, I would just add to that, that a personality who came through the WWE and then into reality TV and then into <laughs> presidential politics <laughs> is the person who comes into that. So God's Not Dead as a film. Uh, I actually wrote about it on ChristianHumanist.org. Our listeners can go find that if they want to or not. And that's fine. It's worth looking
0: at. It's, it's worth reading. It's great.
1: But what I found especially disappointing about that film is not that it was so tidy in the way that uh, facing the Giants is so tidy, but that it was so sloppy, but a sloppy narrative is really a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> so a couple things that you know I noted is that you have parallel stories that never get explored. So for instance, you've got your main character uh, who... Is the you know evangelical pre-law student who you know confronts the evil atheist philosophy professor played by Hercules. Uh, <laughs> and I can't not mention that. But then you've got a parallel story: a young Muslim woman uh, who is you know confronting a university culture that is you know the same sort of secular, godless university culture. Uh, and yet the movie never explores the ambiguity there that we're supposed to root for one of them to resist the university culture, but the other one to become more secular and more liberal because she starts out Muslim. Mm. Likewise, we've got the story with uh, Dean Kane, so you've got, you know, Hercules and Superman. <laughs> um, <laughs> Zena has gone to a much more interesting career, I think. So. <laughs> But, uh, you know, in his storyline, there is a fascinating moment, and honestly, you know, one of my favorite moments in a movie that didn't have very many favorite moments for me, where his uh, mother, who's been neglecting the whole film, he finally goes to visit her, and in a moment of, you know, Vatic prophesying speech, uh, says, you know, well, I mean, let me set up the scene he's talking to her thinking that she's just entirely out of her mind because she has, you know, reached dementia. I can't remember if they call it Alzheimer's in the film, but Mm -hmm. she's lost her mind, basically. And he says to what he thinks is an inanimate body, where is your God now? You've read your Bible and gone to church your whole life. You're sitting here about to die with no memory. I couldn't care less about God, and I'm loaded. I have any woman I want. I have exactly the life that I dreamed of. And in this moment of prophetic speech, uh, she says, well, maybe God didn't give that to you. Maybe it's Satan who gave that stuff to you just to make sure that your soul would be lost. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's, that's you know almost the prophet of Hosea there. <laughs> uh, but, <you> know, <laughs> yeah. but then 10 minutes later in the movie, uh, you get the Duck Dynasty crew again, who we've established earlier in the plot are richer than Croesus. And <laughs> there is no reflection <laughs> on the fact that they also have accumulated vast piles of wealth. Uh, there's no possibility within the narrative world that, you know, maybe they also, you know, got given their money by Satan. Um, now, all of that is, you know, aside from, you know, sort of the central plot that is based on an internet meme about the atheist chalk-dropping professor. Yeah. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it... it the on screen, it's so badly done that it plays out like a combination of a few good men put on by eighth graders, and <laughs> you know, I, um, <laughs> I mean, I and, and then you know, sort of this lifetime movie that we've been talking about yeah. where the professor, you know, has this Big Tent revival moment, except it involves a bullet time shot where he's struck by an automobile driven mm-hmm. by the creature character and has a death street conversion so i mean there's just so many moving parts there's so much possibility there i mean you really Mm -hmm. could do some really interesting reflection on christian spirituality in a university town but it just doesn't Mm -hmm. so i mean honestly you know unlike facing the giants which i which i find you know unappealing because it's so tidy I feel like uh, God's Not Dead wasted a good bit of sloppiness that really could have been interesting.
0: Yeah, hmm. I, I think it had no intention. I mean, I don't think it intended to take any kind of complexity. I think that's what we're saying is the problem. I'm trying
1: the- to be charitable, Danny. <laughs> I know. Well, you did very
2: well. That's why I yeah. have you here. You've
0: good mad by eighth
2: graders. That's, yeah, yes. that's charitable. It's more charitable than my comment, which was that the Kendrick movies are veggie tales for adults. But, <laughs> 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 well, but no, but no it, it really does build up. And I
1: mean, I, I guess if anyone still wants to see it, you can pause here and go see it. <laughs> Although I don't know why someone would, but uh, yeah. it, it really does build up to a rhetorical trap a la Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson except with none of the drama, none of the tension. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Anyway, keep rolling. Keep rolling. Yeah. Sorry. Well, no, I, I, and also, there's
0: just I think there's a real laziness about what a intro to philosophy class would even look like. I mean, oh, the, the, the teacher is just like I, from another. I mean, first of all, the last thing a philosophy professor I would assume would ever say is let's just dispense with pointless debate. I mean, that's yes, the yes. Last <laughs> thing I would expect a philosophy professor to. to, to argue I, I,
1: I teach intro to philosophy. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in uh, addition.
0: In addition to that, the list of uh, characters he has like Noam Chomsky. It's obviously uh, like that's never going to be taught in an intro to philosophy class, no. right? Mm-hmm. I don't even know that it should be taught in any philosophy class, frankly. But um, <laughs> but it's obviously just like a hit list from these uh, these internet memes, basically. Yeah. That mm-hmm. uh, and I think they had Richard Dawkins on there as well yes, on, on the yes. and, and so <laughs> like and, and so it's just like list all the people that are obviously bad, and we'll make fun of them and associate mm-hmm. them with this bad guy. And, and mm-hmm. so I just felt like it's it's in its laziness, I felt like it was really unethical. And hmm. and damaging not only to the people that it was unfair to, but to the people who think that this is actually inspiring. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like it actually contributes, I'm, I'm really angry about this, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I feel like it really actually It's almost in a cyclical way. It takes its cue from these cliches about secular universities that Christian Mm -hmm. colleges often depend on. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, Harvard was founded as a Christian college, and now look at them. Um, Right. And and so in doing so, it contributes back. There's this sort of uh, echo chamber effect to this thing. Mm. And I think it just uh, reasserts all these kind of false, lazy metaphysical claims uh, about what education is.
1: Well, and yeah. honestly, Danny, you might remember this. This is why I actually rented it and wrote that blog post in the first place because the college where you and I taught together at the time uh, actually had a screening as a you know school-sponsored student life event. Sure. And you know, a lot of students were just you know ecstatic that this film existed, and you know, this is the greatest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And some of my English majors came to me and said, okay, you've got to have an opinion on this. And I said, no, I don't. I haven't seen it. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mm -hmm. out of a sense of duty and and masochism, I I did go and watch it and wrote up that little post. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, I was thinking about lazy screenwriting. And Todd, I, I don't want to step on you here, but I was I, another one of these movies that I saw, and I know that Todd doesn't, he made a good case for not including the Kirk Cameron movies into this conversation, or into this mm-hmm. title, this category, <laughs> right. um, but uh, for the sake of me having something else to say, let me do that real quick. <laughs> um, uh, the movie Fireproof I did happen to see several years ago, and, and there's this, you know, you have the Internet porn addicted husband and and uh, and marital problems and he's a fireman. Uh, and so he has a, a partner and a best friend who's an African American, and, and I'm thinking, who's a Christian, and I'm thinking, oh geez, this is going to do that cliche thing where the black guy dies so the white guy gets saved, and and and, uh, and it didn't do that, and uh, it was so cheesy what it did. I, I said, I wish it would have gone down.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it would have been so no. much better if it had been predictable. <laughs> and, and cliche,
1: mm-hmm. but, uh, well, when you get to the point, you're hoping for the tropes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Like, right. Watch a Hallmark Channel
2: movie. For Pete's sake, people. Oh. Todd. Well, so to be fair, Fireproof is a Kendrick Brothers film too. So oh, okay. Oh, oh, excellent. To okay. In it, I mean, you know, Andy Kendrick is in, Kendrick is in every one of these, and he's you know he's one of the characters in there too. But um, no, I, I I think I want to go back to the echo chamber effect here, because you know, really, I mean, with with the goals that they have for these films. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that 99% of the people who go to these films, are, are you know, they, they're being preached to as the choir, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's so little. Uh, I, I think, in, hope in my mind that this kind of thing is going to work the purpose that they want to work. Um, so it, it does become a way of feeding um, the, the, the bias that may exist, that may exist that does exist within some segments of evangelicalism that we don't want to go outside of our territory we don't want to go out there at all um let's just make movies that we're going to be excited about you know and mm-hmm. and you know among among the things that i think is a forgivable offense for for uh for people with these films and i'm speaking about people within the echo chamber um is the fact that these films don't show they tell mm. yeah Right, they're, they're the primary problem, and you know this too is an aesthetic issue, right? I mean, is they're they're, they're, they're telling everything. Everything important gets passed by by words of one of the character. One, you know, we've always got some wise, uh, wiser older Christian who, um, you know, corrects the assumptions of the, the, the good wife in in war room or, uh, or or what have you, and and it just becomes a sermon. I mean, for, which is a Courageous? Does courageous end with a sermon? I think that's the one that does. Um, <laughs> but there are these moments in the action stops, and now you've got this wise person dispensing, you know, the the the, the wisdom uh, to to the character in question, um, and that's just bad. It's just bad filmmaking. <laughs> uh, it's bad storytelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just drives me nuts. I mean, it's why yeah. I can't I can't get into it. And when when church is around and our church does it, you know, when they hold the movie nights for these films, I go, oh, you know, it's double facepalm. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I in prep for this, I I went on Amazon and watched on Amazon Prime and watched as many mm-hmm. as I could and um and in order to kinda, of, and you know, so, you know, the internet's looking at you all the time, so all my targeted ads became so obnoxious. I had to order Hannibal season three <laughs> the other day just to kind of get a different <laughs> to, to
2: cleanse, cleanse the screen. <laughs> yeah. I, needed, I needed to sort
0: of reset my
1: recommendations. So, oh, shoot. Um,
0: anyway, um, well, Todd, that's, that's actually, your last comment, it was actually um, a really handy transition into my last question. Um, which is hopefully a more hopeful one. Um, I, I think I've done okay keeping my ire at least respectable here. Um, and I do want to also reiterate, I don't discount the fact that people are well-meaning in making this sort of thing and, and consuming this sort of thing. And I don't discount the fact that people have had legitimate, um, positive experiences with it. um, um that said, I, I I don't like it.
1: Um, right, but, right. Well, um, Danny, <laughs> if 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 I could get Scotts for just a second here. Yeah. Uh, in uh, David Hume's uh, essay on uh, one of his essays on aesthetics, I can't remember which one. I mean, I think there's a a hopeful or a helpful, pardon me, notion that you know when people really really are gratified by art that most people who, you know, have any kind of taste in art find atrocious. He offers the helpful notion that they don't like it because it's atrocious, but because even bad art is going to have something good about it. Yeah. And so, I mean, I I think that that, uh, you know, keeping those two realities in tension helps us to, I guess, avoid the, uh, you know, sort of dehumanizing of people who like this kind of stuff because, that that is an easy temptation to think. Okay, you know what, what? What? Why are these people hitting this this? You know, feed bar. What kind of pellets mm-hmm. are coming out?
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, let me get to the third question then. Um, that that. Thank you for that support there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if something is wrong here, that assumes that a right is possible. Uh, in an ideal world, what should Christian art be, and why?
1: Who's certain? Oh. You are. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I just went off on David Hume for three minutes, so I think that gives you the ball. <laughs> oh, good
2: night. That gives me three hours. <laughs> um, I, 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 mean, my, my first and foremost, I just think it should be good. I think a good story should be told. I think, um, with rare exceptions, perhaps, I think it should ap- it should avoid. Uh, I think it should avoid directly preaching um you know it should convey stories real stories about real people in real life i mean okay f- fantasy accepted right but i mean mm-hmm. um but by all means it shouldn't shy away from any particular f- you know dealing with any particular fringe or corner of society in part because the human condition impacts all of us it impacts the believer it impacts the unbeliever what, what the pro- the problems that we have being fallible uh, sinful creatures um, and the exploration uh, that a, you know, a Christian artist um, uh, makes should take different shapes depending on what you know what corridor you're looking down um, I think the beauty uh, there is an inherent beauty in examining good and evil in examining suffering and success in um, telling the stories of the downtrodden as well as those who have have, have, have made it in this world um, and by looking at all of the realm of human existence, I guess I'm talking now you know the entire industry if you want to say there should be a Christian film industry which I'm not sure I agree with. Um we all can again O'Connor says the the, the artist being a Christian actually opens the door to be able to explore all the mysteries of life and we mm. should be doing it. We should be doing it in a good way. We should be doing it, you know, skillfully. The words we choose in writing a story, or the film, uh, the filmmaking techniques that we use uh, in 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 telling the story visually. We should be aiming to do the best we can with what we have been given and the gifts that we have as storytellers. Um, but you know, first and foremost, I think we need to be realistic storytellers and just tell it as it is. And sometimes that means we're going to be telling the story of a conversion of someone and sometimes not. And that's okay because there's so much for us. I think we, you know, we, I think it'd be fair to say that we Christians have far, far more in common with those who aren't Christian than vice versa. Then we have out of common, you know, that we don't share with them. Mm-hmm. And so why is it that we should be, um, Either telling you know co-opting art to ha- to to serve a one purpose which again many Christians think is the purpose of Christians on earth, the only purpose of Christians on earth um but also why should we not be telling a story that is just a good story mm-hmm. um that may you know may have uh may have a moral element to it, but it may darn well not, and um you know i think christians ought to be engaged in all manner of art making there's obvious things you want to avoid right there are certain form forms of art in quotes that you want to avoid um but but by and large the you know the the, the field is open and and god's given it to us to play in and yeah. I, and i think I, I think we need to be thinking that way
0: yeah i have to say the um i think the inspiration i had for this was was it in the summer when Todd you were on the Christian Humanist podcast talking about the seventh seal? Uh, yeah. It was a, a few months ago, several months ago. Yeah, and um, and I think that was sort of the original idea I had. As you guys talked about that very existentialist atheist uh, yeah. of uh, meditation as being. Very um, useful, not useful, but moving and and productive for Christians to watch. And, oh yeah, and, and I was entirely convinced by that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever, uh, have a chance to go back and listen to that, I highly recommend it. Um, and uh, and and so yeah, that actually got me thinking about this. Like, why can't most Christian art be that sort of deep and 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 mm-hmm. thought provoking? Um, and also, I was just reading something online, and I'll never remember where I saw it. It was one of those Facebook <laughs> things that come across. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and um, it was talking about whether you should go see Deadpool or something. Uh, yeah. I think it was Deadpool. And it particularly fixated on nudity. Um, and they made the claim that, is nudity ever good in a movie? Uh, and the answer is obviously no. Uh, and, and I'm like, hmm. I don't know that I would... I, I, that seems to be too simplistic of an answer. Like, I have seen movies... In which the sex scenes are integral to the storytelling. Um, a history of violence is a, is a good example that comes to mind. There are these sort of bookend sex scenes in that movie that really kind of um, illustrate the character development in, in really interesting ways. Um, it's not for kids, but you know what I'm saying. But but I would say that that's an example of a um, of a use of some content that is offensive. And would you go back and say that in Renaissance art that Nudity never contributed anything to beautiful art. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like, like I just feel like that's a very un, uh, an unexamined uh assumption to make uh, about art, and mm-hmm. I think it's one of those unexamined assumptions that lead to sort of bad Christian movies. And I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting that we go out and strip down for movies now. <laughs> this is not my uh, my intent here, but uh, 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 but it, I, I do think that that is a instead of just making that a, a, a flat-out statement to ask mm. why might this be is a much more uh, a productive way to approach it. Mm. Um, but Nathan, go ahead.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, and this is where, you know, I, I think that it might be good for Christians to read more Immanuel Kant mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, in his, you know, critique of judgment, one of the distinctions he makes is between an experience that gratifies and then an experience of pure aesthetic pleasure Hmm. then, you know, that doesn't end the discussion. It begins the discussion, because for any given artifact, you know, I mean, if someone says, uh, I'm simply, you know, enjoying the form and the composition of the photo in this Playboy centerfold, (laughs) you know, I mean... Exactly. You know, I mean, we can dispute that, but it does at least allow enough room for a distinction between the pornographic and the aesthetic nude, right? Uh, And it gives us some categories, you know, beyond simply, well, you know, rich cultured people enjoy this stuff, so therefore you should too. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, it's actually something inherent to the artifact in question that, you know, lets us ask those questions, right? Right. Um, You know, one one thing that occurs to me uh, about the term usefulness, I think, again, that's one of those places where if we think that if something is useful, it only has one possible use. Mm. We're cutting ourselves off a little bit because I, I can think of a number of films where it is good for something else. And again, I'm going Emmanuel Kant again. I don't know why I'm... I, you it's know, because my, I'm
2: late. That's why... <laughs>
1: <you mean. laughs> well, I, I, honestly, what, I, what I'm thinking is I'm going to hear from Michael Farmer that I'm singing the praises of Kant. But... <laughs> his distinction between you know good in itself and good for something yes. is not a strict hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Because there have been films in my own experience that were good for shattering certain idols that I had built, right? Mm-hmm. There were films that were good for expanding my imagination so I could, ima- so I could imagine more people as sharing a common humanity with me. Mm-hmm. There were films that were good for a crazy number of things. And, and honestly, I think it goes back to and I realize now that I've had this theory on the air, now I'm just flogging the heck out of it. (laughs) But I I think that a lot of this comes down to literary genres that, I mean, there's a distinction between movies that people make when most of what they're familiar with is revivalistic evangelical church services, and then movies made by people who are familiar with that, as well as Sophocles, Mm -hmm. as well as Milton, as -hmm. well as Dostoevsky, Mm -hmm. uh, so that, you know... You know, if I can go in a, a Ciceronian direction, and Danny, I am trying to help our uh, Christian humanist bingo players here. Uh, <laughs> <going> to, <laughs> if you go in a Ciceronian direction, I mean, there really is something to be said for having models for art in your life, and having good models for art in your life, and having more than a couple models for art in your life. Mm. You make better movies if you know Dante, and. You know uh, Billy Graham than if you just know Billy Graham. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. Um, exactly. I. Uh, in addition to that, uh, what you guys have said is all. So helpful to me, (laughs) and so like it it makes me feel better about humanity to talk to you guys. (laughs) Um, um, But in in addition to that, I'm I'm kind of interested in in how recent years David Foster Wallace has been sort of adopted by many kind of Christian literary critics. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. uh, And and I I think it's uh there's a good reason for that. And and uh, I would recommend if you haven't read a a short story of his, it's called Good People. It was a New Yorker story. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. You find it somewhere. It's anthologized pretty regularly too, um, and, and it's about a young couple who met at a church, a campus ministry, and there is a uh, an unwanted pregnancy, and there's just sort of a, a dilemma about abortion, and the whole thing sort of takes place in the young man's head, uh, in his sort of imagination, and and it's very complex uh, in in the way that the the story is kind of told, as to what position is actually. Um, the more ethically sound one to take uh and, mm-hmm. and those questions that that story raises are just so productive and um I think one thing that makes his work really useful for Christians in a way that uh god's not dead as i, I railed on um I felt like I feel like when I read him and I read this it might, Jamie Smith might have written this about him um mm-hmm. uh someone someone else wrote this I, i'm I'm remembering it um that he. Loves his characters. I, I mean, he's these beings that he's created in his fiction. Mm-hmm. He, as an author, has love for right in a way that the author, the filmmakers of *Gods Not Dead*, do not have love for the caricatures that they've created and put mm-hmm, on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I feel like that alone uh, should be at least the least that a Christian art form should do is, is to actually love humanity. <laughs> and so, um, and I feel like David Foster Wallace as not in any way an Orthodox Christian, um, mm-hmm. uh, is a, a right artist or a man probably, um, is a, a much better model for Christian art than the Kendrick brothers and all these other folks that we're talking about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, um, any last thoughts from you guys? Well, one thing that I, I would want to be cautious of, and, and it's going off of your last point about David Foster Wallace, uh, is that there's a danger if you are exposed to a whole lot of these films, you know, Fireproof and God's Not Dead and so on and so forth, there's a temptation to say that if you just remove the evangelical conviction, then you'll automatically get good art. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of the movie uh, Saved with an exclamation point, yeah. <laughs> which is basically a photo-negative version of every bad evangelical movie you've ever seen, except that the fallen away evangelical is the good guy and the evangelicals are the bad guys. Right. I mean, they, they really did just switch jerseys and make the movie over. Right. Uh, so, I mean, don't get caught up in the notion that, you know, the evangelical conviction is the poison, and if we can just remove that, it automatically becomes good. Right. It's entirely possible that for something to be offensive serves a function to smash an idol that is in your mind and in your heart. Hmm. It's also possible that for something to be offensive uh, is not helpful at all because, it is striking at something that is genuinely good, there's no way to tell which one that is ahead of time. You've got to actually think about what you're looking at. Right. (laughs)
2: That (laughs) ends a sermon, Todd. (laughs) <laughs> well, I I guess what I would what I would say is, is as an alternative. I mean, one of the one, one of the things that churches often do whenever these movies come out is they they hold some event where they're able to either make a deal with the with the theater to have a special showing or they do something on their own uh in their own building. Um, as an alternative to that kind of an event, what I think is is likely to be effective, especially in the context of communities where we've got college students like we all live in, uh, well, mm. Nathan doesn't, I guess you live way out. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but nevertheless, um, one thing that uh, that our church in New York did, I uh, I was a, at Cornell University for four years, so we lived in Ithaca, and our church... Um, got uh, a, 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 I don't remember when, I'm trying, trying to think of when it, when it was, but we got the idea to hold monthly film viewings and discussions. And we just, we, we opened it up to ev- you know anyone and everyone, but just to go and wrestle with good films. To mm-hmm. wrestle with what's there, and they could be they could be mo- you know movies which are more ostensibly you know Christian related, like The Mission. We did that. That was a great discussion. We also watched Babette's Feast. Uh, mm-hmm. We did um, we did Chocolat. Uh You know a number a number of films that were you know very very popular, but offered the possibility of throwing a Christian voice into the 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 sort of reaction to. Um, to what goes on in the film and how the film portrays life and what have you, um, and whether it's some in an event that is a mixed event where you've got community, you know, members outside of the church body and the church itself, or it's just the church. I, frankly, I'd love it if youth groups would do this. To be honest, um, uh, you know, it it is it can be an incredibly edifying time um, because you you know a well made a well made movie has something to say about the human condition one way or another and and we have things that we can say in you know in, in, in response to an exploration um, which I think I think those conversations are to me the most fun. I mean I you know I can't imagine I honestly can't imagine what a church gathering you know around some of these movies might entail in terms of discussion points afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas taking on a good film, uh, I, I think can be really fruitful.
0: Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. I uh, I always had a fantasy of uh, doing this myself. Maybe someday it'll happen. I think it, <laughs> a idea. we're doing a. Uh, we just launched for next year, uh, starting next month. We're at the college. I'm at Mount Aloysius College. Uh, we are doing a, a series on the Coen Brothers films uh, once every couple oh. of weeks over the next year. Can I come? Right? So, uh, absolutely, anytime. I'm, I'm going to start <laughs> right. with Raising Arizona here after spring
1: break. and, and Oh, man. And, and so, yeah, we're going to... That, that gonna... remains my favorite Coen Brothers. I know, <laughs> I know that I'm a, a Coen heretic for it, but <laughs> <I> still in <laughs> a special place.
0: I love it, too. So, yeah, no, and, and, I, and I think that those movies in particular have a lot to say about religion and, and oh, interesting yeah. things to say outside of orthodoxy, and I think that that makes right. it uh, all the more valuable. So right. um, uh, thank you guys so much for, for being here. Uh, I really always enjoy talking to each of you individually. It's the first time that this triumvirate has been assembled. Uh, uh, and I hope it's not the last. I really enjoyed uh, uh, your input, and I enjoyed, I appreciate the, uh, uh, you're willing to uh, leave your own shows for a moment and step into mine here. <laughs> um, sure. Nathan, there's one thing I always do or forget to do completely, and if I were to do, I would do terribly. Um, and you're so good at this on your show, um, and
1: I was wondering. I, I think I know what you're about to ask of me. The iTunes thing, <laughs> um, is that what you're? <laughs> I, I mean, I it, <laughs> if, tell us about iTunes. <laughs> if, if you team me up, I'm going to swing at it.
2: <laughs> all
1: right, all right. <laughs> Sectarian Review is a production of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Uh, Danny edits the show as well as recording it. If you have a moment before our next episode, please head over to ChristianHumanist.org and leave a comment there, the Facebook group dedicated to the sectarian review, or over to iTunes where you can leave a five star review. Remember, on iTunes, you're dealing with the most popular distributor of podcast material. Five star reviews bring more listeners, more fun, more people involved in the conversation. Please do that for us. We'd be eternally grateful. And Danny, I'll I'll kick it over to you to do the official ending. The official, that was let's call that the official ending. And let me, <laughs> uh,
0: let me just end with my eternal gratitude. That was so much better than anything I could have done. So. Nathan, uh, Todd, thanks again. Uh, you guys have a great one. You
1: too.
2: Thanks. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before, and I can tell you that. He's one who will never leave you flat. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend of Jesus Jesus is a friend of mine Jesus is my friend Jesus is a friend of
0: mine Thanks for listening to Sectarian Review. Download us again next month for another hour of criticism, reviews, and opinion. In the meantime, check out our Facebook page and send us an email at sectarianreview at gmail.com. Sectarian Review is a part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Eternal thanks to Kristen Philippic, intrepid press liaison. Until next time, remember the words of Kafka, don't despair, not even over the fact that you don't despair. Bye.